You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. We are really on a roll here with just a variety of interesting interviews. I've been able to interview some people from all different realms. And today is one of those. Today, we're going to be talking to a filmmaker who has made one of my favorite documentaries of all time. It was called Trekkies. It came out in the late 90s, which was all about the Star Trek fandom and the whole subculture surrounding that. And he's just recently come out with a new documentary alongside with a book called The Truth about marriage. And everything he talks about is backed up with scientific data. So you're going to hear about the truth about marriage and how attraction works. And this guy made a whole documentary on this and he has interviewed a lot of famous people like Neil Strauss from the book The Game and The Truth. He also interviewed John Gottman, which is a famous scientist who has discovered all these things about how marriage can be successful and how relationships can be successful. And he's going to spit it out all here. So you're going to get some really good information here, stuff that I would even... I would take notes on because it's going to help you in the long run. I'd really recommend that. Roger's a great guy. He's very interesting and has a lot to say. So listen up here because you're going to get an education on the science about marriage and attraction and what it really means and where it comes from. Why is marriage something that exists today? What's the history of it? Very, very interesting stuff. And I'm really glad that Roger took the time to do this interview and to sit down and just answer some of my hard-hitting questions. We are going into the new year here. So don't forget that if you're interested in working with me one-on-one and doing coaching, that is available to you by going to coachedbytrip.com. That is a website with an application form. As long as you fill out the application form in its fullest, then you and I get a chance to work together and do weekly calls, as well as get unlimited texting with me and access to a bundle of my programs that are going to give you the right information to be able to meet the women that you want and be able to get into the relationships that you really want and succeed with attraction. So if you need help with that and you want me to help you and customize it completely to you, go to coachedbytrip.com where you can apply today. All right. So I'm really excited about this. I can't wait to listen to this again just because it's jam-packed with some real cool information. Here's my interview with Roger Nygaard. Check it out. Hey, Roger, it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, it's good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, For the guys who don't know you, maybe you can give us a little bit of a background of who you are, you know, your, your... I don't know. Is there the title documentarian? Is that, did I just make up that word? No, that's a correct word. It's one facet. I mean, I generally go with filmmaker and uh, now recently author, but I've done writing, directing, producing, editing, and recently a lot of editing of TV shows, which is what helps me and directing of TV shows, which is what helps pay for the documentaries. Awesome. That's so cool. So cool. And then recently you did a documentary called the truth about marriage, which has a book that goes along with it. But maybe tell us why you decided to do a documentary on that. Like, what, Where did this all come from? Well, the uh, quick 
history is, you know, as you know, I made a film called Trekkies and that's where I got the documentary bug. And that led to doing a doc about UFOs and aliens and abductions called Six Days in Roswell. I, I, I found that I like grasping onto a question that's almost or maybe is unanswerable and then setting out to try to answer it. And in each case, like, with, are there aliens? Are they really coming here? That was the next task that I took on. Then the next one I, that really obsessed me was existentialism. The core question being, why do we exist? Why are we here? What's the point of everything? And the nature of existence was the result, a documentary. After I finished taking on that uh, impossible topic, I needed something even more inexplicable than existence itself. And the topic of relationships and marriage seemed like the only thing that could top existence. So my core question became for my current film and book, why are relationships so hard for people? Why is marriage so difficult? Clearly, there's something wrong if there's a 50% failure rate in the product of marriage. Maybe even higher at this point, right? I've heard something like 60%. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when I talked to psychologists, it's sort of part of it was, what do you include? Is it just technically filing for divorce? But then on top of that, a lot of people are still married, but separated or still married. And they're only really functioning as roommates and or staying together for convenience or many people are married and if you consider and this is the way some psychologists or marriage therapists look at it if they're together and they're not really having sex anymore except for out of a sense of duty or responsibility or it's a requirement they're still married but they're not really engaged in the way like when we start out when you start dating someone it's because there is passion you are drawn inexorably like two magnets for some reason and a lot of it is chemical and many other things but then that changes over time and so clearly yes this product has a uh, an attrition leading to a failure rate that i wanted to solve and try to to, to find out why so people can improve it so what did you find? A lot. <laughs> but I mean, underneath... What were some, the... Of the, some of the things that, that really... <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a big question. What, what were some of the things that shocked you the most? Everybody's doing relationships wrong to some degree. That's what I learned. We're all, we're all messing it up. And it's not really our fault. We're set up to fail by our society, our culture, because our culture has evolved, it's advanced, it's changed dramatically from where we first started out, our culture evolves faster than we do as a species. The way that we exist now, all of uh, the emotions we have in a relationship, the feelings, the thoughts, these are all things that evolved to be adaptive and helpful when we lived in small tribes in the African savanna. But then we learned, because we had we evolved these large frontal lobes, we learned how to write and then keep records. And pretty soon we were able to pass on from one generation to the next this thing, this knowledge, this culture, technology, which is this culture that then could then we can improve on far more than you'd be able to do if, if all of your history was orally transmitted and you had an oral culture, which is what it was for a long time until we discovered writing and then keeping the records. So because of that, Things changed radically about six to 10,000 years ago when we discovered the idea of agriculture. And we switched from being nomads, living in small groups, to staying in one place in groups that grew much, much larger, hundreds of thousands of people and more sometimes. 
And so the rules had to change. So now we're living within a set of rules that are out of sync with what you'd say is natural for ourselves as a species. So go deeper into that. So what, what's happening now with marriages in terms of that? Well, because we're still the same being species, homo sapiens are the same as we were 100,000 years ago in the African savanna, but we're living within different requirements. The original requirement on that, in that small group was everybody shared everything, whether it was uh, shelter, food, protection. And many of the anthropologists I interviewed, like Chris Ryan argued, they also shared sex. People weren't so proprietary about their sexual being, who they are. Having sex was just a natural thing that everyone did all the time. And it was like now that that's unthinkable because what evolved instead of this group culture, thanks to agriculture, is monogamy. Monogamy is the rule of the land now. That was the the solution to living in large groups where you couldn't share everything anymore. The intermediary stage was polygamy. And what happened there is there, there came to be some people, mostly men, who acquired great wealth, more wealth than other people, land barons and then kings and pharaohs and uh, sultans, etc. And so they were able to collect more women because they had the resources. But if you've got 5,000 concubines, which was not uncommon for a, a a pharaoh or a king, that means there's 5,000 young men who are not getting anything. And so they're very frustrated and unhappy, and that's not good for society. So what happened is societies realized that to keep things stable, which the king actually needs things to stay stable, everyone, the rule became everyone gets one man, one woman. That's the rule for everyone, including the king, including the, the pope, including all the rich people. So even though the species hasn't changed, the rules have changed. And so people then still get what they want to get. So sometimes they cheat or they get frustrated or they move on. And what we actually practice now is more accurately termed a type of polygamy you could call serial monogamy, where when you get a new person, you've got to discard the old one. In the old days, you could just collect them, keep the old ones and add to your collection. (laughs) <laughs> which is, seems insane now, but you know we live within this world, and whatever the way you grow up and what you're born into, that seems normal. It's natural. It's what you grow up with, but it's not the way things have been for the vast majority of human history. So, when did it become more monogamous? About uh, five, six thousand years ago. I mean, the idea of marrying for love is only about 150 years old, because before that, it was marriage was a, a, an arrangement for survival. It was you had a better chance for you and your offspring to survive if you had a partner. And then when two families would get together, a marriage was a way to bring fa- families and clans together to cooperate, which, you know, there's safety in numbers. We didn't have enough free time to really focus on ourselves as individuals until about 150 or so years ago when the idea of each of us are an individual being. I have a birthday. I'm special and I need and I and I'm searching for a special love. So this is a brand new invention. It's something we're, we're it's no wonder we're having we're struggling with it because it's kind of really very new to us as a species and we're still figuring this thing out. 
what does it mean to be in love? In my book, I explored that, this idea of love, what does it mean? There's actually, we have this one word, love, but it, 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 there are many types of love. You know, there's brotherly love, there's family love, there's love for your children, then there's passionate love, there's love of roommates. So one way that uh, one of the uh, psychologists I interviewed, Tai Tashiro, he said there's a distinction that they came up with to separate love for your partner from like love. I love chocolate. You could say, I love my animals. Well, you don't, you're not in love with them, right? If you had the word in, I'm in love with my partner. That's the phrase we use to signify a special kind of love. I'm in love. Yeah, you don't that's say I'm a big in, boy phrase right there. You're right. I'm not in love with chocolate. I'm not in love with my chocolate. I love chocolate, but I'm in love with my partner. And that's the soulmate type of love that we we now have been conditioned to believe that is our 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 right to achieve. It's waiting for us. It's out there. Why don't I have it yet? And part of me making this documentary, the truth about marriage, and writing the book was because I felt like I was such a failure in relationships. Why couldn't I get to the altar? I had been in love three times. And each time I was imagining myself with this person and being married and maybe having kids and being together forever. And then it fell apart in one disastrous way or another for different reasons. And I just couldn't understand, what am I doing wrong? And and so setting out to make this documentary, I sought out a lot of the top psychologists and marriage therapists and relationship specialists and sociologists, marriage counselors, etc., and ask them all the questions that were bothering me about why am I f- such a failure at this? And you come along as a, as a viewer and you learn what I learn, and we are making mistakes. There, I was sabotaging relationships without knowing why or how, and there are little things that we do wrong, and it, it equates to like seduction, too. If you want to seduce somebody, well, you use the same skills to, to hold on to somebody for an entire relationship. And we're all really bad at it because no one teaches us these, these things. Why isn't there a class in high school teaching you how to have a relationship? Arguably, it's the most important thing you'll ever do in your entire life is select a life partner. But there's no guidance. <laughs> They'll teach you wood shop, you know, and, and physical education and math, but not how to have a relationship. Boggles thought, my mind. I've been it's saying insane. that for, for years now. It's like, yeah, guys have to get their education later in life through something like this, a podcast or on YouTube or, you know, through a documentary such as, as the one that you created and books, but there's nothing in there. And it's like, that's one of the things that is pretty uh, common between a lot of people here. We're all going to be finding someone, you know, a lot of people get married. It's, it's just really, we all have relationships no matter what on some level, but we don't learn how to deal with those relationships. I hope that changes one day. Well, yeah, and it, it, it's changed for me radically just by learning. There are some really simple things anyone can do to change the trajectory of your life or your relationships and not make these mistakes right out of the gate. I mean, we're all, we're, we're horny as a species, right? And so you get this urge, I've got to connect with someone because I've got to release this backup of sperm or I'll go insane. You know, we're designed, my friend called it, you know, toxic sperm backup. If you don't nasty sperm buildup, if you don't eject it from the body, you'll go crazy. And so it'll, it, it kind of forces you to go out there. And, and unfortunately, it sort of puts you in the wrong frame of mind for a long-term relationship where you need to be thinking about slightly different things because to go out and get laid, you put on kind of a mask. Here's the best version of myself that I think will get someone to take their clothes off as soon as possible. 
that's not who you are. And so eventually that mask is going to fall off. You can't, it takes too much energy to hold that up forever. And they're going to see you for who you are. And the relationship is going to end because you were selling them a, a false bill of goods or, and vice versa. Both, everyone does it. So there are ways to uh, think a little more long-term if you, if, because if, that's ideally what you want is someone who will, uh, satisfy your needs sexually and physically, but also emotionally and as a partner and, and a business partner and someone who you, you're choosing a best friend for life ultimately. And those are, it's a, it requires a little bit different approach. So did you learn anything from this journey in terms of how to approach this better or do marriage better? So it's something that can be long lasting? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I spoke, I interviewed, one of the people I interviewed was Neil Strauss, who wrote The Game, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, yeah. That's, he's pretty much the whole reason why even this podcast <laughs> exists right now. So that be interesting to hear about that. He uh, has re- repudiated The Game. When I interviewed him, he had written a new book called Truth, where, which was about keeping relationships as opposed to get, just getting laid one after another. He had found that lifestyle empty enough that it put him into a new frame of mind. And his transformation was amazing. (laughs) But what, one of the things he had learned was that you have to, this is, and and this is a consensus I I found among all the experts, really the biggest mistake that we make, particularly male masculine, this is a masculine mistake is we're terrible listeners. We don't know how to listen properly. And the, the, the feminine, the female, uh, and we all have both masculine and feminine at times. I'm, you know, sometimes I have feminine needs, sometimes I have masculine needs. But when someone is in their feminine need, which is primarily female, they have a need to download the events of the day, the emotional events of the day, by talking about them. And that means you need to be a good listener Unfortunately, our instinct, it's a little bit counterintuitive for the masculine. When someone tells us they have a problem, we want to jump in and solve it and offer solutions or litigate the problem. Or, and what that's not what they need. What the feminine or the female needs about 15 to 20 minutes per day is someone to just say, how was your day or how are you feeling? And then shut up. And all you should do during those 15 or 20 minutes is express empathy. Which means, what does that mean? It means showing you understand how they're feeling. And it could be as simple as going, oh, that's terrible. Wow, that's amazing. I'm so happy. Expressing empathy for how they're feeling. Don't offer solutions. They don't want your advice. They just need to download, to unload this emotional baggage that builds up during the day. Once you understand that basic thing, you can keep so you have a better chance of keeping someone or keeping them happy so they'll stay. If they don't get their 15 to 20 minutes, they become frustrated, which leads to anger and then arguments. And it gets difficult to stay together, obviously. And it's becoming harder and harder because our technology is forcing us apart instead of bringing us together. We come home, we look at the iPhone, we look at the TV screen. We don't face each other. So the way to do it is you come home, put your your cell phone on airplane mode, 
make eye contact, say, honey, how was your day? Or honey, how are you feeling? Tell me about your day. And then shut up for 15 to 20 minutes. Now, the counterpoint to that is women should not expect more than 15 to 20 minutes per night because the male brain can only handle about maybe a half an hour at most of relationship talk before it begins to do what Dr. Gottman, John Gottman calls flooding. The brain will flood, will overload, and then frustration, anger, argument. So there's a sweet spot of 15 to 20 minutes per night if you give your partner that. Genuine connection, active listening, and showing you recognize them, that you, you see them and you see their hurt or you see their goodness or what one of the psychologists calls practicing capitalization, where if your partner comes home and says, wow, this great thing happened to me today, I got a raise, or my, my coworker brought me a present, we, we, I had a wonderful day, or whatever, something great happened, well, how you capitalize on that is to say, wow, that's so great, I'm so happy that happened for you, that you're expressing, your, it makes you happy, and you're capitalizing on their happiness. Now, if you don't do that, if they say, oh, this great thing happened to me today, and you, and you say whatever, or you don't respond, it's, it's a point against you, and you miss out on the opportunity to increase both your happiness levels, which lasts, could last all week. And the, more, the happier you are as a couple, the better your sex life is, the better your passion gets. And it all comes from just this little, it's, it's an experiment. Try listening. I mean, it costs you nothing. What have you got to lose? You don't have to try this if you don't want to be happier, but it's worth a try. It's the easiest thing in the world, but it will require an expenditure of time daily. And another thing Dr. John Gottman said was that when you start a relationship, relationships naturally deteriorate over time once you begin. And so if you, do, if you do not put active intention into your relationship, it's going to be over. It will naturally end. If you start a, a relationship, you have to work on it or it will end. And if you want to keep it going, you've, there's some basic little things like this little listening exercise, which we're so terrible at doing. And I should, just to be fair, explain there's a counterpoint to this for the, the women listening to this podcast that the masculine, and women have a masculine need, masculine needs as well too. We all have the same needs, but in diff different proportions. What the masculine needs is, like the, the feminine needs this listening, the masculine needs to disconnect occasionally. We all need to connect with our partner, but we also need disconnection time. John Gray calls it going to the cave in Men Are From Mars. You know, a man has to go to his cave once a week. And what happens is that once you connect, once I connect as a masculine person with my feminine partner, I then start to feel a need for freedom and I get anxious and I need to get away. So it's like an orbit that you can't really stop. The moon around the earth, you know, needs to orbit. You can't stop it. You can't get in the way of it. So I need to orbit away. And once I get away, I start to miss her and I need to, to, Feel, I feel the need to reconnect again. So I come back and I, and I go through this eternal, continual orbit of connection and disconnection, which is natural and it's normal. And once you understand that these are normal needs and normal behaviors, you don't blame your partner. He goes away all the time. Whatever, you know, well, once you know, and, and, and there's a proper way to disconnect, which can, makes it much more uh, helpful for, like if I feel like it's, I'm starting to need this disconnection time, Honey, 
you announce your disconnection. Honey, I'm going to go fishing with my buddies and I'll be back Sunday night at 7 p.m. and I can't wait to see you then for dinner. Or honey, I'm going golfing and I can't wait to see you tonight at 7 p.m. for dinner, whatever it is. Now you've announced your disconnection and you've announced at the same time when you will reconnect. So now she doesn't have to be insecure. She knows exactly what's happening and, and, and knows it's normal and natural. It gives her a little time to go do her thing, whatever that is. And the part of the key is if you say 7 p.m., be home at 7 p.m. If you, if you mean midnight, say midnight. You know, Take your lumps up front because it, your word matters. It's part of trust and keeping this relationship strong by working together and understanding each other and trusting and believing in each other. So there's one thing or a couple of something very basic that I learned that we're all bad at. And if you just make a slight adjustment, your relationship will be vastly improved. Yeah, just this idea of communication and communicating to each other in the way that we want to be communicated, where this idea of men want a little bit of space, women want to be listened to, and understanding those things about your partner and implementing that. It's pretty easy to me. It sounds like. <laughs> you think so. And if you, you know. if you initiate that right from the start, from the first date, you're much more likely to succeed and be successful in dating if you come off at the very beginning as a good listener and a genuine listener and someone who's interested in the other person. The best thing you can do on a date is to, to get the other person to talk about themselves, to ask them questions about their life, to be genuinely curious and interested about who they are and where they're from and what they like and don't like. And to try to shut up, our natural instinct is to talk about ourselves a lot and try to sell ourselves. Here's all my good points. I do this. I'm really good at that. That actually works against you because it shows that you're not interested in the other person. You're more interested in yourself. So if you can start off as a good listener, it goes a long way to making it a better date and then ultimately a better long-term relationship. Is there anything else that you found here that has been very helpful, something that simple that you could implement in your relationship or your marriage that helps it similar to this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's why there's a whole documentary filled with it <laughs> and, and a book. But let me tell you a couple of specifics. When you're dating, the idea of attraction, what are we attracted to? I was really fascinated by this. I'm sure you've probably come across this, but we are attracted to symmetry, First, in, uh, in appearance, congruency, bilateral symmetry. That's really the definition of physical beauty. But men and women are attracted to different things. Men are attracted to physical beauty first and resources second. For women, they're attracted to resources first and then beauty or handsomeness, what have you, second. So men are, why is that? Men are looking for outward signs of fertility. The, those things that that we see, like, oh, man, she's really hot. Well, the hotness is because she has a lot of signs of, oh, she, she's very fertile. That's health and youth, ability to uh, bear children, have children. And for a man, what a woman is looking for, how she gauges whether he has resources, is social status. Women are attracted primarily to social status. I mean, yeah, he's got to be hot. He's got to be good looking. Uh, that all helps. But overriding that is the money, power, 
connections, good job, and all these things contribute to how high in social status a man can rise to become the chief of the tribe or some lieutenant or some powerful person because then offspring with this person have a better chance of surviving. When you look at uh, you know attraction from an anthropological or biological perspective. So if you want to if you're on a date and you want to be attractive, let's say you're a man, you want to be attractive to someone, the number one thing you can do according to the experts and all the dating coaches is to project confidence. This made it to the list of uh, the top of the list of all the experts. Confidence is by far the most attractive quality to both sexes. But it's like a man with a plan. It doesn't matter where you're going as long as you're going somewhere. You're, you're confident, you're decisive. Insecurity and indecisiveness or desperation are the most unattractive things. But as a corollary to that, Stephen Ward, who is a uh, dating coach, referenced the Kama Sutra. And he said that the three principal aims in a man's life should be virtue, wealth, and love. This is what it says in the Kama Sutra. You can't achieve the heights of any one of those, virtue, wealth, or love, without simultaneously pursuing the other two. So in other words, you can't actually be completely and totally in love unless you're trying to be a wealthy and virtuous man. You need all three of those poles. And if you have, if you're virtuous, good guy, if you're wealthy, you're a good job, and you're good at listening, you're good, good with love, that's the irresistible package that you want to project. And a confident person projects that they have all the qualities. So, you know, I made a film about car salesmen called Suckers, and one of the salesmen's mottos is fake it until you make it. But you've got it. The key phrase there is make it. You've got to become the confident person. A con- person is confident because they know they have the qualities of whatever it is that, that they're, they're doing. And it's so in the world of dating, you come off as confident. If you have, if you're pursuing these three virtues or these, sorry, these three aims, virtue, wealth, and love all at once. So it's like, you, you better end up tapping into that because eventually the person you're with is going to know if you're truly confident or not. You can't fake it for too long. <laughs> no, it's impossible. You, you know, you're going to be, that's why relationships end. You know, there's certain, there's, there's the two week, the three month, the six month, the one year uh, periods. If you make it past each one of those, you're, you're, you've made it past a milestone, but it gets hard to make it past when you, ex- these milestones, when you have to expend so much energy putting up a facade. So let me ask you this. What are the top few reasons why marriages do end? What have you found in your research? Back to John Gottman, he, he, he studied this. He brought couples together and then looked at interactions and was able to make, or he makes the claim that he can watch a couple interact for five or 10 minutes and with over 90% certainty or accuracy, tell you whether that couple will stay together or not. And if they do, how happy they will be. And he found this was related to one particular aspect or behavior, contempt. If either partner showed contempt toward the other, that's the number one sign that it's not going to work or they'll be very unhappy. And what is contempt? It's like rolling your eyes, sighing, dismissiveness, not listening to what the other person says, cutting them off. Contemptuous behavior. That's that's the worst indicator of longevity and happiness in a relationship because it means you're not functioning as a team. 
you know, we're, yeah, like you don't respect them. Exactly. Like if you're doing that, you don't, you have lost your respect for your partner. You need to feel like uh, one of the formulas for a successful relationship is that both partners have to feel like they got a little bit better deal than they deserve. <laughs> you know, each one has to think they, well, I, 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 you know, scored above my ability here. She's way hotter than I deserve. Or, you know, she's thinking, well, he's way nicer and, and more successful than I deserve. It keeps them both a little bit on their toes and, and valuing each other and thankful. And it's maybe expressing gratitude. You know, that's another thing is you need to express gratitude to your partner daily. Thank you so much, honey, for doing the shopping today. Thank you so much for taking out the trash. Thank you so much for whatever, any small thing or big thing. Thank you so much for providing this wonderful house for us and our family. You know, just expressing gratitude is something we fall into these patterns, which they call, the psychologists call it habituation, where you begin to take your partner for granted. And that wears on the relationship. And so we have to actively work against this natural tendency to fall into habituation. I mean, habituation is good in that we, we want stability in a relationship. But one of the aspects of habituation and stability is that we lose passion because that person seems like the same. They're the same. Oh, it's the same person every day. I'm, you know, it's like having to eat the same meal every day. Of course, you're going to get tired and want a different meal tomorrow. So we have to overcome that and work on these uh, different ways of interacting, like listening, like expressing gratitude, like changing the way that we do conflict. That's a big one. Marriage counselors I essentially spend most of their time mediating conflict. And people are really bad at doing conflict. And conflict is natural in any relationship, particularly when you're sharing resources, which is what we do. We've, we're, you know, a marriage is a business partnership and we're, we're sharing a lot of resources. And so who, how much money are we going to spend on this? Or, you know, is it okay to buy a boat? How much is too much money to spend on a pair of shoes? How many pairs of shoes is okay to buy? You have to kind of be on the same page and be able to mediate these financial questions. And one of the ways to deal, is, I'll just give you one example. There's many ways that, to approach this, but one of the ways that the uh, experts offered to deal with conflict is to do conflict by appointment. Let's say the garage is a mess and you really want your your husband to clean it up or whatever, you know, th- whatever uh, is causing the conflict. Men are really bad at ambush discussions. They're much better if you can say, if uh, let's say uh, a woman is, uh, wants the garage to be a little tidier. Honey, I'd like to talk to you about the garage. When is a good time to discuss it? Uh, not today, I'm really busy. Okay, uh, how about tomorrow at 10 a.m.? Uh, okay, fine. Now you've made an appointment to discuss a point of contention, which is the messy garage. And what they recommend is, uh, Dr. Pat Allen is big on this. You write it down on a piece of paper, and it's now it's an appointment. Put it on the refrigerator. It's real. It's tangible. You wrote it down. It's not just, a, oh, I forgot we talked about it, you know, kind of thing, because it's real. You wrote it down. It's an appointment. And then tomorrow, now the masculine brain has time to prepare for it, knows it's coming tomorrow. We'll talk about it then. Now, once you get to the point and you're having a discussion, another good rule of thumb is to eliminate the use of the word you. 
in discussions and replace it with the word I. So instead of saying, you are a fucking slob, you say, I feel really anxious when it's so untidy. And now instead of it being about your partner's faults or shortcomings, it's about your feelings and that you're hurting. So of course he's going to be more likely to step in and say, I'm so sorry you feel badly. I want to help you feel better. I feel anxious. Can you help me? So there's a couple of examples, argue by appointment, word word choice is important. Eliminate the word should. You should never say should to your partner. You should know how I feel. You should know. You should already be doing this. Nobody should know or do anything. We're not mind readers. Express what you want. Ask for what you want. There's another rule. Tell your partner what you want. People are afraid to ask for what they want because what if they say no? Well, how are they going to know otherwise? And you're setting yourself up for, for defeat. I love it when a woman tells me what she wants. I was dating this woman once and she was unhappy. And I said to her, what is it that I'm doing wrong? Tell me what you want. Make me a list. And she said, okay. So she made me a list of the 10 things she wanted from me that she felt she wasn't getting. And I loved it because now I had a roadmap to make her happy. It was was simple things like hold my hand, tell me you miss me, bring me gifts, stuff like that. It was like, okay, I can do all those things. And now I know what's important to her. And it has a little bit to do with like the love languages, learning how your partner needs to receive love, which is probably different than how you need to receive love. But if you're giving them love in the way that you like it and not the way they like it, it doesn't count. You've got to give them love in the way they need to receive it. So you use the word communication. All of this will come out in communication, but we don't start out communicating on that first date, honestly. And it's difficult to set up an honest interaction when you start out with facades. One of the uh, couples that I interviewed in my documentary and the truth about marriage was a polyamorous couple. And I went to their wedding and then checked back a few years later to see how they were doing. And what I found fascinating about polyamory for them is how high functioning as a couple they were. And I learned it wasn't because they have sex with multiple partners, which they do. It's because in order to be polyamorous, they had to, right from the start of the relationship, be honest about who they are and what their needs were. They had to be be very open about who they were. So there were far fewer surprises waiting for them down the road because they had been open about who they are. And here's another thing that I learned from all the experts in agreement on, if you are thinking of getting married right now, today, the best thing you can do to increase your chances for a successful and happy relationship is to do premarital counseling. And why counseling is, I don't want to go to counseling, that's hard work. You you go there if there's a problem. Well, uh, John Friel, who's a psychologist, said that typically when couples come to him for counseling, it's like going to the emergency room and saying, I broke my leg six years ago. Can you fix it? Well, it's pretty hard now. If you'd come six years ago, we could have probably got you walking normally again, but it's going to be very difficult now. And it's almost like it's too late. They're coming in when it's, they're at the, their wits end when it, the relationship is virtually over, trying to salvage it. And counseling is actually fun. It's great. There's someone who has to listen to you and who, who has objective good advice. And in another study, they found that religious couples tend to do better than non-religious couples in longevity and happiness. It's not because they're religious. It's because they're forced to do 
premarital counseling by the church or whatever group. And the, the reason that's so good is because it eliminates surprises. You get to learn who your partner is. Are your core values in sync? That's what's key. Because if they're not, and you find out later, it's going to be difficult. Wow. Damn. Now you're the expert, it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's out there. You just have to go and, and read and talk and listen to people. But it's hard work and nobody teaches us. That's, uh, that's the shame of it all. But you know what? You, you know, end up listening to podcasts like this where you can learn this stuff. And then you can also watch documentaries, read books such as yours to learn this. And I think that you have done a big service for men and women out there by discovering some of these truths and also you know, in a scientific way to really know, okay, what works, what doesn't work? And then what are the practical methods to be able to use and implement so you can actually get results with your relationships, with dating, with marriage, all that stuff. So uh, Roger, this is really awesome to hear from you. And like I said earlier, I'm a fan of yours. Before you even created this, I watched your Trekkies documentary back in, I don't know, 15 years ago. Who, who knows? A long time ago. <laughs> and right. and uh, you, you do really great work. So I appreciate you being here. Is there anything else that you want to say to the guys listening that you know are, are not married right now? I'm sure I know a lot of people listen to this podcast are not married. They are single or dating. Any last bits of wisdom from the things that you have discovered? Well, if you go to my, my website, I'll give you that the truthaboutmarriage.com. You have links, the links you need if you want to watch the documentary. It's on Amazon Prime and other places. And the book is on Amazon. And I just wanted to make it easy. I didn't want to get into a really... Like a like a textbook on how to do that, you know. It's I wanted it to be funny. My documentary is to me, it's a comedy first because life is absurd and it's funny. And if you don't laugh, you'll go crazy. And so I approached this as trying to make people laugh and entertain them. And while at the same time, here are some really easy things, simple things that we should all or could be doing if you want to have a little happier relationship or a better chance at your next relationship lasting. And there are some things that are beneath our conscious awareness. I'll leave you with that. The idea of chemistry. Dating apps are, they really only serve one function. The uh, algorithms at a dating app at some place like eHarmony are essentially useless because you can't tell if you're going to like someone until you're sitting face to face and then you get a sense of how they make you feel. Filling out 250 questions serves no other purpose other than to bring two people together who are so committed to finding a partner, they're both willing to torture themselves by filling out so many questions to prove their, how, how, how dedicated they are to looking for someone. So you've got that. But what a dating app does is, whether it's Tinder or Bumble or what have you, is you look at someone's picture and you find out, you get a sense of, are they attractive and how close are they? Are they geographically desirable? And if so, you meet. And then if you take it from there and you find out if you, if you have chemistry. So really all you need to do on a dating app and what you should do if you want to be successful on a dating app is if you're a guy, you have what, four or five pictures that show 
your social status that show that you are intelligent, creative, you have leadership capability, you have ambition, confidence, a sense of humor. How do you do that? You show yourself with people who are laughing and smiling and they like you with family shows you like family, people that are smiling and happy with you. Those pictures are going to score you much higher, more, many more swipes in the right direction than pictures of you lifting weights or jet skiing alone or, or standing alone somewhere because we're social creatures. Pictures showing you successful at work, successful in social situations, laughing and having a good time with, and the people around you, enjoying your presence, those are the strongest pictures that will get you a better result. And then you really barely re read the text. You just as, lo as long as it doesn't look like you're insane, keep it simple and like you have these qualities. Don't, <laughs> if you are insane, well, you know, what can you do? But try to come off as someone with these qualities and you'll do much better with a dating app. Then it's just, you got to get together and see if your chemistries match. If, and if they don't match, there's nothing you can do to fix that. You know, there's sometimes no symmetry there. it's in the kiss, right? If you kiss somebody, your body is doing an analysis of that person's chemistry and telling you if this is a good match or not. And you feel it, you feel it as the sensation is passion. And if the kiss is just, okay, whatever, well, it's not going to become passion to the same degree unless it's there. You'll know it right from the beginning. So that's what I would leave you with in, uh, with respect to dating apps. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, I'm going to put the link to all of Roger's material in the show notes so you can check it out and read and watch what he's been doing. And also just for fun, you should check out Trekkies because it's a really good documentary if you're interested in learning about a uh, fun subculture. But anyway, Roger, thank you for, for doing this, for being here and sharing some of your knowledge. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it's been good talking to you, Trip. Thanks.